Well, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. We are in a highly controversial text that um, most assuredly for people outside the church, if they were to read this text or listen to a ser- sermon of this nature, they would laugh. They would say, how ridiculous. But this is not a text for uh, business. This is not a text for government. This is a text for the church. It's for us on the inside. It is God's blueprint for the church. And uh, even inside the church, this is a controversial text. And the reason why it's controversial today is uh, culture has just dramatically changed over the last uh, two or three decades. And uh, even more so, it, it seems like it's going at warp speed today, but Satan has been blurring the lines between manhood and womanhood. Uh, there are some uh, rebellious, lost people, sexually confused people in our culture today that want to do away with gender identification. That we, we not have, um, restrooms for boys and restrooms for, for girls that, uh, we don't, uh, conduct our lives or we don't dictate culture by gender. And it is Satan who is blurring the lines. And this morning we are uh, looking at this text and Paul is going to take us back to uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And these are foundational uh, creation, uh, creational truths designed by God that when he created man, when he created woman, not only did, did he say that it was good, but it was very good. And what was good back then, church is good for us today. And we need to pay attention. We need to live according to God's uh, design for man and woman. And so as we look at this text this morning, this This text, God's Word, is not out of date. It never has been and never will be. God's Word is eternal. And as we look at this text, it's not God's Word that's out of date, but it's our culture that's out of line. Our lives are out of line for those who struggle with this text. So... um, uh, I'm going to start with verses 8 through 10, and then we'll look at verses 11 through 13. And, and uh, you know, it was challenging. It was challenging to prepare for this text in more ways than one this week. I had a lot going on uh, this week. But uh, I was hoping to try to find a, uh, a creative title for this sermon. And uh, I went to a particular site that I just see tried to see where other guys were, were, how they labeled this um, as they preached through this text. And uh, one that caught my most, my attention the most was the scariest, the, the scariest sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> and uh, I thought, no, I don't think I will go the, there. But uh, as you can see, I wasn't very creative with the sermon title. But uh, we are looking at uh, women's place in the church. And I want to begin with verses 8 through 10. And as we look at verse 8, he starts with the men. There's only one verse uh, in this text this morning that's pertaining to the men in particular. And the rest is with the women. But uh, let's read these three verses. Paul says this to Timothy. I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands with without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair 
and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. And we'll be, we'll, 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 um, pause there for a moment. There's uh, two issues in these uh, three verses that Paul begins with to Timothy. The first is in regard to uh, divisive men. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, Timothy having to address uh, false teachers in chapter 1, and now we see he's, he has a church, he's a pastoring a church, who has angry, uh, divisive men in it. They're struggling with anger. And that, if that describes you this morning, friend, if you struggle with anger, um, your emotions just have a tendency to get the best of you, um, God would have you to get that emotion under control. Uh, God wants to hear your prayer. You know, and he says this, Paul instructs this uh, in the context of prayer. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. You know, in another passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says a similar thing. If you want your prayer life to be effective, if you want to... Uh, um, that relationship with the Lord to be um, uh, one, uh, that that not that that fellowship with God not to be broken. You need to have a healthy relationship with your wife. Look what Peter says in chapter three, verse seven: Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And so in verse 8, Paul is imploring Timothy, speak to the men, Timothy, and encourage, exhort them not to allow their emotions to get out of control. God's not going to hear an angry Man, God is not going to hear a man who mistreats his wife. Treat her, Paul says, as the weaker partner. And that doesn't mean inferior partner. You know, she is created in the image of God. She is of equal worth and value in the eyes of God. And when you mistreat her, you are mistreating an individual who God has created in his own image. And that grieves his heart. And so you have a responsibility to care for them. I like to say to treat them like fine china and not be harsh or um, boss them around, use and abuse them. Otherwise, your, your prayer life will be hindered. And this too, men is part of godliness. You know, as we are looking at uh, the book of 1 Timothy, um, this book is about godliness. Godliness is uh, lifting up holy hands to the Lord with, uh, with, that are pure and not filled with anger or quarreling. And so that's, that's uh, Paul's message to the men. And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10, and he talked about distractive women. And he talks about modest dress. Now, I think I mentioned this last week. Um, uh, Ephesus is a, uh, a sexually immoral city. Uh, there is a lot of uh, perversion, immorality throughout the city. There is a uh, a goddess whom the people worship. Her name is Artemis, and there's a temple uh, that's built uh, to this goddess Artemis, and this temple is full of uh, temple prostitutes. And these prostitutes go outside um, the temple and are seducing men to come into this temple and uh, worship 
uh, Artemis through uh, acts of sensuality, of immorality. And uh, they have particular dress, as you would imagine. Uh, they dress in such a way. They they braid their hair in such a way. They wear jewelry that will bring attraction, attention to them, that they might be successful in seducing whatever men are passing by. Now, if men are in that area already, and uh, they know where... <laughs> where this temple is and and their location in regard to that, they probably don't need a whole lot of seduction at that point. They're there for a reason. But this is the motive. This is the lifestyle of these temple prostitutes. And so Paul says this in verse 9, Likewise, also that you women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control and not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. But what Paul is saying here, based on the context of this letter being written in, he's saying, women, don't dress like them. You dress modestly. You dress appropriately. You dress in such a way that you, verse 10, that you profess your godliness. And so when when you dress appropriately, ladies, this is a fruit of good work in your life, uh, Paul says, um, with good works. You who profess godliness with good works. And so modesty is important. It is another sign of godliness. Now, why is why is Paul focusing on this? This particular issue. Um, he doesn't want the church to look like the temple Artemis and the prostitutes that are in that temple. I think there's another thing about Paul that he's very aware of. Um, He knows the way women dress can attract a man's attention. Paul is a man. Paul knows what will capture a man's attention. And being a dad, I understand that. At one point in, in Susan and I's life, in our home, we had, we had teenage girls. And this tended to be a topic of conversation in our home. And guess who had the final say as to what would be worn and what wouldn't be worn uh, in our daughters, with our daughters as they were going outside? No. Me. And you know why I had the final say? Because I know what attracts a man's attention. I know better than Susan. And why is that so? Because I are one. I know what gets my attention. And so, this wasn't always a big deal, but... On occasion, I had to say, no, you're not going out looking like that. And, you know, there was a bit of conversation, but I only did this because I love them. And I know what boys will attract boys, because I'm a boy. Paul's a man, and he knows what... Um, can cause not only himself but others uh, to stumble. And so he's dealing with Timothy on this issue, talking to him. And uh, when it comes to dress, and especially in the church, uh, ladies, teenagers, the question that you need to be asking yourself is, it's not what makes me look best, 
or what will uh, draw eyes to me. The question is, what will honor God? This is this is Paul's um, message here to Timothy and to the women of this church. Dress modestly, dress in a way that you won't look like those in the temple of Artemis. You'll dress in a way that will honor God. And I'm not saying that you've got to dress like a pilgrim or you've got to look like uh, some of the Mormon cults and, you know, you're covered from here to, to your feet. I don't think that's appropriate either because I think that brings attention uh, to, to one as to, you know, how spiritually pious they may be. No. Don't bring attention to yourself. What's going to honor God? What's going to reflect that uh, I belong to him? Paul goes on to talk about jewelry. Uh, don't, don't wear jewelry to showcase your status. You know, that has a tendency of setting you apart from others. Don't draw attention to you. There's only one that requires our attention, and that is God himself. And so these are good works uh, that we dress appropriate ways and that we're not distracting others. And then he talks about Christ-like demeanor, uh, verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness uh, with good works. We need to uh, live our life. We need to conduct ourselves in a way that, again, doesn't draw attention to others, but focuses on our inward Christ-likeness. Look at First Peter chapter 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now let's just, you may be concerned here this morning. You might be here and you braided your daughter's hair this morning. Did you do something unbiblical? I don't think so, but we'll go back to this in a, in a moment. Um, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of old jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Paul saying, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired by Paul is saying to us, to you, that focus on the inside, that inward, gentle, and quiet spirit, not on the outside that is fading, what's on the inside. Uh, When I was at uh, Emmanuel, I don't know if you've met Craig down here, but Craig is uh, first time in our church, brand new to Ridgecrest, came uh, uh, yesterday into town, a new employee on the base, just met Craig. But uh, Craig, um, Craig and I went to the same church back in 82, 83. He knows Pastor Rob Zinn, and I was serving as youth pastor there. And uh, so small world. But uh, when I was at his church and the service was meeting on Date Street at, at that time, we had a Sunday night service, and we had one gal in this church that uh, loved to bring attention to herself. Do you remember this, dear? You know what I'm talking about? I don't remember her name, but uh, she would sing in the choir. And she loved to dress herself according to the holiday uh, in, uh, on the calendar. And she, she wasn't very um, obvious about it in the beginning, but... People get, kept giving her praise, you know, that she looked like nice, that she looked patriotic, or, uh, you know, that uh, I'm not sure what other holidays might be, but, uh, but uh, this was 
feeding uh, her identity. She was liking what she was hearing, and so she started upping what uh, how she was going to present herself. And I and so I remember Susan and I would have this conversation before church on Sunday night. I wonder what she's going to be wearing tonight. <laughs> and it was Valentine's Day. It, well, not Valentine's, but it was that season. And she came out in, out from back uh, into the choir, and she was dressed like the Queen of Hearts. And she had this big old hat on, the shape of a heart, and uh, you know, and everybody just kind of chuckled. And it got to the point. Well, it was at the point. You know, it wasn't about the Lord. You know, it was about noticing me. You know, it's all about me. And and finally, somebody uh, talked with her about the inappropriateness of that attire. And and I hope they were in this passage of scripture. I, I don't know, but uh, you know, that's uh, that's Paul doesn't want us to go there. And so here we are, poor Timothy. You know, he's a young pastor. He's already got false teachers in the church that he has to uh, deal with, confront. He's got angry men. He's got some women who are dressing immodestly. And then Paul says this in verses 11 through 15. He says this, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Maybe this is the scariest sermon I've ever preached. Those are not easy words. And poor Timothy is the pastor uh, over this church. You know, if you go on to read elsewhere in Timothy, in Timothy First Timothy 5, uh, uh, women are not, uh, widowers are not um, choosing to remarry. And they're choosing to be uh, gossipers and uh, busybodies and um, not fulfilling the role that God has called them to. Uh, again, in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, uh, there's false teaching, and these teachers are um, are seducing uh, the women in the church. And and according to this passage of scripture, it, there's some women who are teaching, and they're undermining the authority of the elders. And so. Timothy's got a mess on his hand. And, uh, and, and Paul is, is telling Timothy that he needs to deal with these things. And, uh, you know, Paul's not just railing on the men or the women. He, he's, he's addressed the men. He's addressed false teachers. He's addressed those who have uh, anger issues. But uh, this is a text that read today is really controversial outside the church. And even inside the the church, there are people who will say, how archaic, how out of touch, how irrelevant these words are to today. I'm here to let you know that these words are the eternal words of life inspired through the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. And what was good back in the first century in Ephesus is good for us today. This is God's design for the church. Now, as we look at this text, two principles 
uh, that I want us to uh, consider. Two uh, principles concerning uh, biblical interpretation. One is the principle of harmony. this issue elsewhere, and so we need to uh, harmonize those. We need to look at those other texts before coming uh, to some conclusions as to how, what God's design for the church might be. So the principle of harmony and then the principle of history. God has revealed scriptural truth in the context of specific historical and cultural settings. And so we've got to ask the question, what part of the text is cultural expression which changes from culture to culture, such as the braiding of hair and the wearing of gold and and jewelry? And what is the central revelation? The revelation that never changes. And so there are some things in this text that are cultural, that changes from one people group to another. But then there are other things about this text that are revelatory, that are central, that never change. And so what we see in Timothy chapter 2 is not going to contradict the rest of Scripture. And so we need to investigate and know what the rest of Scripture has to say. And so Paul tells, takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter verses 1 through 3. He says, uh, verse 12, or verse 13, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a a transgressor. That's revelatory. That's a truth that's never going to change. And how does it apply to this text? Why does it apply to this text? That's what we need to be looking at. And so the first thing we see from Genesis chapter 3 is that when God created man and woman, he created them both in the image of God. He created both of them with equal dignity. Now, it may not say that here in this text, but you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you can learn that uh, Adam is not superior to Eve, or Eve inferior to Adam? No. They have both been created in the image of God. And both are important. They are of equal worth and value. That and dignity. That is what we know about God's word in man and woman. And number two, what we uh, know about man and woman when God created them, he created them in complementary roles. Complementary roles. That means there are unique differences between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve. <clears throat> for God's own purposes and for our pleasure and for our good. And we live in a world today that doesn't want to recognize those differences. We live in a culture that just want to blur the lines and that we're just to all be treated equally. And there are no differences, but there are for specific purposes. And the way that God created the man is to complement the woman. And for the way God created woman was to complement the man. They each have distinct roles. They have both have value. They are both different and they are both important. There are unique differences not meant to compete, but to complement. 
this is God's design, and it reflects God's nature. And one of the most beautiful things that we see about God's nature is the Trinity. And the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they each complement one another. There's no competition. There's an order. There's There's the Father. And the Son is submissive to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is there to to carry out uh, the Father's sovereign will and to uh, glorify the, the Son. And you don't see any of them complaining about one getting more attention than the other. No, they are there for uh, each other. Um, it was bit comical this week on Facebook. Um, Alyssa Achoa was on Facebook, and she had a picture of her brothers, and uh, Arturo Gregory and Alyssa had uh, tattoos on their forehands. Um, and it says, it says, what? Forehands, forearms, and it says, love you both. Okay, now Tony didn't get a tattoo, but uh, somebody put a picture of Tony on Facebook and they tattooed it on his forehead. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, you know, just communicating that their love for, for each other. And she, she wrote, um, she wrote, I name a better trio. Go. And immediately I said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> And that's what we see in this passage of scripture here, or that we know from uh, Genesis chapter chapter two, that uh, or or just the the idea of the Trinity. There's there's a loving authority. Father is sovereignly over all. There's a glad submission of a son, and it's in the context of a beautiful relationship. And so when we look at the man and wife, or the, the man and the woman, they are there to complement each other. Not to, not to compete. Not to treat one inferior to the other. They are to live in harmony. They are to be not be ashamed of their sexual identity, their gender. This is who God has created them to be, and they need to fulfill those distinct roles. And so this is a timeless principle that we see in Genesis chapter 3, the principle of harmony. And so verse 11 again, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now there's two prohibitions in this text. One, a woman is not allowed to teach and she is not allowed to exercise authority over a man. And if you were to just have this text alone, I'm sure you would be asking yourself the question, she can't teach at all? Again, we need to interpret this text in light of the other texts that we see in God's Word. If you looked at Titus chapter 2, verse 3, you see where Paul is instructing the older women to teach the younger women. And so in verse 12, this is not a blanket statement that women should never, ever teach. If, if that were so, Beth Moore would be in sin today. Um, verse 12, I, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We had Karen Vesey up here uh, 
introducing our mission statement this morning. If this was the only text uh, in in New Testament and Scripture about women, Karen would have been in violation. As the elder of this church, I would have been in violation of uh, of uh, um, of not honoring this this text, this word, and so. As we look at this text, and we're going to be in this again next week, uh, there's lots of qualifications pertaining to an elder that uh, we're going to be looking at next week. And um, teaching happens to be a competency for being an elder. That That is the difference between being an elder or being a deacon in the church. You can serve as a deacon, not be a teacher. But if you, if God calls you to be an elder, you have to be a person who uh, has the ability to teach and is teaching. And so that's how elders lead in the church. Elders lead by the teaching of the word. That's it's the word that gives elders their authority, and we see the same thing in First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen. He says this: "Let the elders rule well. Lead, rule. You hear that? Let the elders rule well." Um, let them be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in what? In the preaching and teaching of the word. So uh, that's the context in which Paul is prohibiting uh, women in the church in chapter 2. But elders do two primary things. They lead and they teach. And so what Paul is saying in this text, in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Basically, he's saying this. Those two primary responsibilities of an elder, women should not not teach as elders. She should be quiet in the church. Should she be mute in the church? No. Not according to other texts. And if you would look at other passages in the, in the New Testament, you'll see where women are praying and prophesying publicly in Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this text... Paul is simply saying she needs to attentively, with a teachable spirit, listen to the elders' teaching. But beyond eldership, she's not allowed to be an elder. We're going to see that next week. It's only reserved for the men. But beyond an elder, there are many teaching opportunities for women. Um, Paul mentions to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Timothy, remember your mother and your grandmother and the things that you taught, taught you of the Lord early on in your life. Acts chapter 18, there was Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, they pulled Apollos aside. This man and woman, leaders of the church, they pulled Apollos aside and uh, corrected him in some uh, doctrinal issues. Uh, If you go to Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, this is an informal picture of both men and women going into all the world to uh, spread the gospel, to make disciples. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that's just not reserved for the men. That's reserved for the instruction for women as well. And so women have the opportunity, should be provided the opportunity to 
teach in the church, but in accord with elders' instruction under the authority, under the leadership of elders. Now, does that mean that women that can teach, does that mean they can never be in a leadership position? I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying with submission to elders, women are free to lead in a variety of different positions. Women are intended by God to thrive in ministry across the church. God intends everyone to be equipped and mobilized to serve and lead under the leadership of qualified elders who take that primary responsibility. So, don't tell Lottie Moon, don't tell Elizabeth Elliot or Beth Moore or a K-Arthur that women are sidelined in the church. That is just not the case. They teach, they serve, they lead under the authority of the elder body of church. And so something that we need to look at as we enlist women to serve, teach, lead, uh, are they women who embrace in a lifestyle, what Scripture has to say. Are they living that life of godliness, modesty, um, uh, love and, and submissiveness in the home? If this is characteristic of their life, and elders see this, they are qualified. And God, there are opportunities for women to serve in the life of the church. Now I want to look at two reasons. Two reasons why um, this is God's design for the church. Verses 13 through 15. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Two reasons. Number one is God's design in creation. What Paul is describing here, what women are permitted to do and not to do, is not a cultural thing. It is a design. It's a revelatory design in creation. The Bible says Adam was formed first and then Eve. There is an order. Just as there is an order in the Trinity, there is an order between man and woman, husband and wife. The husband is to be the head and the wife is to be under him. Adam was created first and then Eve. Adam is not superior to Eve. There there is a cooperation. There is um, a uh, complementary design for this. There can't be two heads. When you look at a body, are there two heads on a body? No, there's, there's one. And that serves a purpose. So it's not a cultural issue. It's all about revelation. Man is to be the leader. And the second reason why it's this way is because it's Satan who distorted God's order. It's Satan who distorted God's design in Genesis chapter 3. Paul is not saying, for Adam formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 
Paul is not saying that Eve can't lead because she sinned first. No, it was it was Satan who distorted the creation. It was Satan who subverted the design of God. Satan, instead of trying to deceive Adam, Satan went to Eve. And he subverted Adam's role. And what did Adam do? He just silently sat by while Eve was deceived and sinned. God's design was subverted. And what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, God's design was good in the beginning, and it hasn't changed. Even though Satan distorted it and sin entered the world, the design pattern has not changed from Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And what was good back then is still good today and good for the church. And it hasn't changed, neither in the church nor in the home. And so from that, we come to verse 15. And Paul says this, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What in the world does that mean? I have no idea. Although I do have some thoughts. But we're going to come back next week and finish up this text. Church, this is a very controversial passage of Scripture in our culture today. And our culture wants to erase the lines between manhood and womanhood. But God has uniquely created each one, not for one to be better than the other. No, they are both valuable and important in God's eyes. And they complement each other. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed by what God says the church needs to be practicing. God says it's good. There's a purpose, and we cannot deviate from it. And ladies, in no way and in no order are you inferior or less brilliant than men in this church. In fact, many of you, you're far superior to us men and what you are able to do and accomplish. So don't feel as if there's things that you can't do in the church. No. As long as it's under the vision and the authority of of the elders that God has ordained in this church to lead, the sky's the limit in what you can do. So don't walk away bitter this morning or struggle with this text. God's desire for all of our lives is that we would listen carefully to these words and we would humbly submit ourselves to what God says is good. It's good for kingdom. It's good for your the church. It's good for your home life. It's good for the children in your home who are watching a mother and father interact with each other. 
God says, this is good. This is a good work. This is what it means. This is part of what it means to live a godly life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for truth. And sometimes truth is hard to swallow. And God, if we were to take this message into the world, we would be the laughing stock. It's not meant for out there. It's meant for in here and in our home. God, I thank you for women of the faith who have made a huge impact in kingdom service. I think of Lottie Moon. God, how you called her to China and she gave her very life for the people of China because God, she loved them. She loved you. God, because of her commitment, millions and millions and millions of dollars have been sacrificed to go to missions around the world. I thank you for Beth Moore. God, the gift that you've given her to teach and how, God, you have ministered in and through her to thousands of women's lives across the United States and around the world. God, she is a woman of God who has submitted herself under the authority and over the leadership of the pastor or elders in her church. She understands this truth. God, I pray, I thank you for each woman in this church. I'm, I'm afraid to think of what this church would, would be like if we didn't have women in this church. If I didn't have my wife in my home, this place would be so cold and unloving, not very pretty, not reflecting. of God who you are in your nature. God, you need both. You want, you've created both the man and the woman to fully reflect God who you are. So thank you, Lord. I pray that you would just encourage each person that's here this morning. Help us. Help us as a church. Help us as elders to be true to your word. Not bring attention to ourselves. But point everyone to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.